We continue our series journeying through Matthew chapter 13, discovering something about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and as we unpack this together. So hopefully you've memorized the chapter already. Maybe not, but at least you've maybe picked a verse or two that has been meaningful to you. And if you want to do some follow-up on that, uh, we meet here Thursday nights at 7 p.m., and we'll be doing that for the rest of summer. And so come on out. We're studying the Beatitudes on Thursday nights, but it all ties into the kingdom. And I think we have some great conversations, and we're still open for others to join us. So today we're looking at Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46, uh, the parables of the treasure and the pearl of great price. And these might be somewhat familiar to you. I, when I was a kid, I loved the books that were choose your own ending books. Does anybody remember these? Or maybe they still make them, the choose your own ending books. You know, you get to a certain page and it says, if you think Johnny should go down the dark hallway, turn to page 30 now. It wasn't as dark as that, but you know, it was that kind of options to find out what happens and you could read the book again and choose a different ending. Well, today is a choose your own ending sermon. Um, so this will be exciting, right? And if you don't like point one, just go for point two and uh, we'll try and make everybody happy. No, the idea is that when we come to some of these parables, there are various interpretive directions that we can take because they are layers to the parables. And sometimes depending on what aspect of the parable you focus on, there's a different lesson. And that's what makes it exciting to go back and read the parables over again because sometimes we can uncover another layer that we get into. And so I'm going to give three optional endings uh, to these two parables and then it'll be interesting to see which one really resonates with you. You can talk about it over coffee or we can uh, uh, meet together this week if you think I've missed an optional ending. So we're going to read uh, the parables in a second. Remember, though, that the main interpretive key is this. The kingdom of heaven is like. And so Jesus is uh, expounding on what he means when he uses language like kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. And we're learning this. When Jesus began preaching, what did he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when he stood before Pilate, what did he say? My kingdom is not of this world. So Jesus had a message, and the message was about the kingdom. And he told you and I, if we're to follow Jesus, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the other things will be added to you as well. So kingdom seems important, and that's why we're having a look at it. But we need to be retrained in order to fully experience the kingdom of God. Because we go in with our set of assumptions, we talked about this last week, and sometimes we miss what Jesus is saying. And so the process of discipleship is kind of a tearing down, in some ways, a deconstruction of what we think we know, so that Jesus might teach us the truth by his spirit. And that's what's happening in Matthew chapter 13. So, are we ready to read? Let's read Matthew 13 and just a few verses, 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. 
Two simple parables, no explanation. Some of the other parables, it's nice because Jesus then says, okay, come here, guys. You have a, oh, this look on your face like you're just not getting it, right? So come and I'll tell you kind of the inside story. But these ones, nothing. Short, sweet, to the point? I don't know. That's what we have to discover together, I think. And it's another double parable, just like the last two. The mustard seed and the leaven, a double parable, but basically had the same meaning. And it's the same here uh, with the, the treasure and the pearl. A double parable, but essentially the same stuff going on. There's something of great value. There's a seeker and there's a price to be paid. And that's the common elements that we find in these parables. And so I'm going to actually spend a little bit more time on the treasure. And maybe we can talk about the pearl uh, another time. Before we get into it, though, there might be a slight ethical dilemma that's resonating in your mind as you think about this character wandering through someone else's property, right? Finding a treasure. And what does he do? Alert the owner, say, hey, buddy, you drop some money here and it might be yours. No, he doesn't do that. In his excitement, he hides it again. And then he goes and make an offer on this guy. He lowballs this guy to, to buy the whole field. And then he can claim the treasure. And in our mind, it might create a bit of an ethical dilemma. And this is a kind of a weird thing for Jesus to say, and this is how God behaves in the world. Um, but I think there's more going on in the story as we go through it. Um, if you've ever been to some other countries like England, my daughter Kira is here today and she got back from England not so long ago. Um, you can actually wander through other people's fields and it's legitimate as long as you remember to close the gate behind you to keep the sheep in, right? And so this guy was wandering through fields and he wasn't trespassing. And he actually did the legitimate thing because he ended up purchasing the field. He didn't just steal the treasure. So you can play with that a little bit, uh, but it's an interesting bit of an ethical dilemma as we go through it. Well, here's optional ending number one. How do we interpret this parable? What's the direction we take? Here's one option for you. The focus in this option is on the treasure. And the key phrase, I would say, is sold all he had. And in this interpretation, the field stands for, anybody want to guess? The world. And that's pretty consistent, right? All the way through these parables, the field is the world. The treasure in this case is the gospel of the kingdom or the mystery of the kingdom, the good news about the kingdom. And the seeker, the man that purchases the field, are the, stands for the followers of Jesus. So this is about the followers of Jesus in the world, discovering the gospel of the kingdom and being so excited that they're willing to give it all up to follow Jesus. And so this is, I think, how I was taught this parable when I was young. Uh, it's this idea that there's a cost to following Jesus, that if you want to really embrace the gospel of the kingdom, you need to count the cost. Discipleship is costly. It costs us something. And this is consistent with other teaching that we find uh, in Jesus and in the gospels. Jesus says, take up your cross, right? And follow me. He even doubles down and he says, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. This idea, if you want the treasure, you've got to pay the price. Um, he even says, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. This is repeated kind of cost. 
I remember the story of the rich young ruler, which might ring a bell to some of you if you've read the Gospels. And the rich young ruler came to Jesus and wanted to follow him. And what does Jesus say to him? First, go and sell all that you have and then follow me. And what did the rich young ruler do? He was sad. He walked away because he had lots of money, right? And he just couldn't uh, meet the cost. And so he didn't follow. And so that's part of what's going on here. Um, Jesus even said this, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. So maybe that's part of the interpretive direction. It reminds me of uh, a series that's been on TV for a very long time, and it bears my last name, The Simpsons. And this is not a ringing endorsement of The Simpsons. Watch it at your discretion. But there's one, um, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Episode that comes to mind every time I hear this verse. And it's the episode of Homer getting his hand stuck in the vending machine. And we won't go into all the details of why his hand was in the vending machine. I know, though, that you've been tempted to do it, too, when your item doesn't all fall all the way down and you can't shake it out. Anyway, his hand is in the vending machine, and he's stuck. And all kinds of people come to try and help him, and they can't help him until someone finally says, Homer, are you still hanging on to the candy? And he's like, yes. Well, let go. And he lets go, and he is free. And I think that's part of the message here. Sometimes there's so much that we're hanging on to. I want to follow Jesus, but I still want this. I still want the right to determine my life in this direction. I still want to hold on to these grudges. I still want to not forgive these people. And there's, there's a message here that says you've got to let go of that, count the cost and let go and begin to follow me. But here's a note of caution. And I think we have to be careful with this interpretive direction. Because growing up, when I heard about the cost of discipleship and that you had to bear your cross to follow Jesus, I came to an understanding that following Jesus is actually a miserable feeling of sacrifice all the time. In fact, the followers of Jesus that were following the best, they were miserable most of the time because it was so hard. And I don't think... That's the way we're meant to follow Jesus. So we have to be careful uh, with this because the highest virtue in following Jesus is not suffering. In fact, when Jesus came, he didn't come to experience suffering. He came so that through his suffering, he might show us love. And maybe that's the greatest sacrifice of all is showing love. So here's optional ending number one is this idea that there's a cost. That when we find this great treasure, when we find this idea that we can be free in Christ, we're willing to give up everything in order to follow Jesus. Okay? So if you're, if you're done, you can go home now. It's, um, that's optional ending one. If you're satisfied, no, don't do that. Optional ending two. Optional ending two, the focus is really on the field. And the key phrase is bought the whole field. And maybe this option isn't as common as some of the other interpretive directions of this parable, but I want to kind of spell it out to, to challenge your thinking a bit today. Uh, one of the champions of this is a guy by the name of Robert Farrar Capon, and fascinating writer, and a bit challenging sometimes, and a bit off the wall a little bit as you read him. But he talks about this. The field is the world. 
And we've established that, and that still is consistent with option number one, right? The treasure is the mystery of the kingdom, and that's the same as option number one. The difference is the seeker isn't the individual Christian following Jesus, but the seeker is actually the church universal, the collected followers of Jesus. See, Jesus makes it clear in Matthew chapter 13 that the knowledge of the mystery of the kingdom of God has been given to the collected disciples, right? And that's part of what's happening here. And he makes it clear that in order to possess this hidden mystery of the kingdom, that they can't ignore the world. It's not a secretive, separate kind of cult that he's establishing, but the world, the field is still very, very important. Now, here's how, where we have to be careful again, because as soon as we use the word world, we can mean very different things. In the Bible, there's the world of creation, which we're meant to take care of. There's also the world of the anti-God system that we find in culture, and that's what we're meant to resist. But there's also the world of humanity. And I think that's what he means when he talks about the field is the world. It's the world of humanity. So when God so loved the world, it's the world of collective humanity, right? When God sends his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world, it's the collected humanity. And that's what we're finding here. And even Jesus prays not to take his disciples out of the world, but to keep them in the world. So here's the point. In this interpretive direction, the church receives the mystery of the kingdom when it, with joy, is willing to sacrifice in order to embrace the whole world with it. Let me read a quote from uh, Robert Farrar Capon, and uh, hopefully this quote doesn't, you know, triggered too many people because of the language in it. No, it's not that bad. Uh, 138, page 138, if you want to borrow this book after, feel free. This is what he says. The man who discovered the treasure did not simply buy the cubic yard or so of nice clean dirt in which he cleverly buried it. He bought the whole property, sinkholes, dung heaps, poison ivy, and sticker bushes, plus all the rats, mice, flies, and beetles that came with it so to the church. If it can bring itself to buy all sorts and conditions of human beings, white and non-white, male and female, smart and stupid, good and bad, spiritual and non-spiritual, it can't even pretend that it's Catholic. And he means by that universal. So this idea that the church gets very excited about the gospel but it doesn't own the gospel by itself. It needs to be existing for the life of the world. And so he buys the whole field and uh, potholes and sinkholes and all. And in the sense, the church needs to embrace the whole world just as God in Christ has embraced the whole world. So maybe in this interpretive direction, there's a challenge here. A challenge to think about our relationship as the church to the world around us. How are we a sign of God's kingdom to the world around us? Do we love the world? And by that, I don't mean the system of the world, but I mean our neighbor. Do we actually love our neighbor as ourself? That's option number two. Okay, third one. Optional ending number three. Hopefully you're still with me and uh, you've gotten this far. We turn to page 30 and we find that this is another interpretive direction. The focus here is on the seeker. 
the one who is doing the discovery, the one who is seeking. And the key phrase is this, a man found it. The field is still the world, but the seeker changes. The seeker in this interpretive direction is actually God in Christ. Jesus is the one doing the seeking, the searching. And what does that make the treasure? You. You are the treasure. You are the pearl of great price. You are the one that Jesus is seeking. You are the one that, that Jesus, when he finds you, he's so excited that he buys the whole world. <laughs> he buys the whole field uh, because of his great joy. The one scattering the seed as we go through these parables from the start of Matthew 13. If you remember the one that's sowing the seed, that's Jesus, right? The landowner that says, don't pull up the weeds, that's also Jesus. Uh, the gardener who plants the mustard seed, that's meant to be Jesus. The woman who bakes that, uh, that unseemly amount of bread, that's Jesus. And so it makes sense in this time, the one that discovers the treasure in a sense is Jesus. And that fits with the teaching we find in the New Testament too. The son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Or this other verse in Hebrews, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. And we find that in the passage as well. With great joy, he purchases the whole field. When, it, when we talk about seeking and saving the lost or seeking and finding the treasure, it reminds me of the parable of the lost sheep. Remember this one? A uh, man's out in the field and he's supposed to be taking care of the sheep. He's got a hundred sheep and one walks away. And what does he do? He leaves the 99 and he goes to find the one. Can I just say, do not hire this man to do anything. That's not a smart move, honestly. I mean, cut your losses. Let the sheep go. I mean, just chalk it up to wolves or something. Because if you leave the 99, what's going to happen to them? Like when Jesus told this story, there'd be a lot of people scratching their head going, that's stupid. Don't do that. I mean, just cut, cut your losses and move on. But there's something compelling in the heart of God that says, no, I am going to find the one that is lost. That's the love of God in Christ. And that's what we find here. This finding of the treasure, God is willing to give up everything in order to embrace the one who is found. So why search for the one? Why sell everything to buy the field? Because God says, you're worth it. You're worth it. I think so much, so much time in the church is spent uh, focusing on sin and shame and guilt. At least that was my experience growing up. Maybe it was for you too. The first statement that we had, you know, that had to do with humanity on our statement of faith would say, you are all sinners, right? That was the first thing. I'm glad that at least at Bonavista Baptist, that's not the first thing we say about humanity. The first thing we say is, you are all made in the image of God, and that's biblical. And that's what we're finding here too, this idea of you are worth it. You are precious, you are valuable, you are loved by God, and you've been bought with a price, even the precious blood of Jesus shed for each and every one of us. And the gospel of the kingdom is that personal. It's not just a generic gospel. The apostle Paul was able to say, the son of God who loves me, and gave himself for me. And I hope you can say that today too. 
I hope it's that personal to you, that God loved me so much that Jesus came and died for me. Say that there's two things needed to thrive as humans, besides the obvious. We need water, we need pizza, and we need, you know, shelter. Um, but there's, there's basic needs that we have, but there are also higher level needs that we need to really thrive as humans. One of them is we need to have and experience security in love. And the second thing is we need to have significance in life. We need to know that we are loved and loved without condition. And when that's not there, when that's not present, when that's removed, just all sorts of things get off track. And we also need to know that we matter, that we're important. And in so many ways, that's exactly what the gospel is addressing. The gospel says God loves you with a love that is unconditional, that he will never turn away from you. And that you matter so much to him that he has a purpose for your life to glorify him and enjoy him forever. First Corinthians chapter six says this, you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your bodies, right? And that's one of the interpretive directions of this parable, that God was so excited to find you because he was seeking and saving that which was lost, that he was willing to pay the price no matter what it cost so that he could embrace you as well. Well, what ending would you choose? Hopefully you've been tracking along with some of that. Uh, what aspect of the kingdom of God is found in these two parables? Is this uh, stories that remind us of the cost of discipleship? Perhaps, I think that's part of it. Are these stories that, that remind us to embrace the whole world, to love our neighbor just as God loved us? That's part of it. Or maybe you need to hear this this morning, this affirmation that God loved us so much and loves you so much that he sent Jesus. What is the Spirit saying to your heart today as you reflect on these parables. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful that we can gather together in this place and that we can reflect on these teachings of your son. And our prayer today is that by your spirit, that you would be our instructor, that you'd speak to our hearts the words that we need to hear today so that we can be more like your son, so that we can bless the world around us, so that we can walk in the path of righteousness and experience your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.